Welcome to the Mental Health in Schools podcast, designed and delivered by Anna Bateman. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 3 of Halcyon Education Podcasts. And in this episode, I talk to Damien Hewitt from Jigsaw PSHE. As we are moving in the UK to many aspects of PSHE becoming statutory from September 2020, And when we consider the importance of a PSHE-based approach and lessons as we welcome more pupils back to school in September, it's perhaps an important time to reflect on our role as leaders in school to create the right environment that fosters resilience, well-being and learning, and PSHE plays a large part in that. Damien says that before we even start to think about the PSHE curriculum content, we need to make sure that the learning environment and learning behaviours and conditions within the classroom are in the right place, and then the PSHE curriculum can sing. At the end of the interview, I share some resources to help you take action and use the podcast to influence your practice. First, a quick word from our sponsors. A jigsaw PSHE We believe that personal development and strategies to build mental well-being need to be taught and not left to chance. Jigsaw, the mindful approach to PSHE, leads the way in providing children and young people with its acclaimed, well-structured and developmental lesson-a-week learning experience in PSHE from ages 3 to 16. Detailed lesson plans and all the teaching resources needed, along with free updates and ongoing support, make Jigsaw an invaluable, relevant and fresh resource, taking the worry out of PSHE planning. Written by teachers for teachers. Unmindfulness philosophy and practice underpins the whole programme. Statutory government requirements for relationships, health and sex education are amply covered. For more information, go to www.jigsawpshe.com or call at Jigsaw HQ. Now to the podcast. Welcome to today's podcast. Today I'm joined by Damien Hewitt, who is from Jigsaw PSHE. Thank you very much for joining me today, Damien. That's my pleasure. Nice to be here. Thank you. So Damien, with your experience as a a head um, and having obviously been a head of of several schools and then now your role uh, within uh, Jigsaw... I'm really interested to kind of find out what your thoughts are around the whole school approach, really, around PSHE, um, and particularly around curriculum and the context of that. So um, when we think about PSHE, um, some schools put it kind of at the heart of what they do. How do you think, what, what kind of impact do you think that has, and how might a school think about starting off putting PSHE as, as something as the heart of everything they do? Yeah, I think the first thing to say that that is the right way to go. Mm. I think from my point of view, um, often you still see, sadly, schools make the mistake that PSHE is just a curriculum area they have to deliver. And that is often crucially a missed opportunity because really, you're right, the children have to be the centre of everything you do. And that pupil voice is paramount. And if you work with the children and are working for the children rather than doing something to them, I think you know you won't ever forget that the children are the heart of what you do. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, making sure that you know before you even get into nitty gritty of curriculum models, that you're really sort of focusing on your vision 
and, and your focus for the vision and how all stakeholders will work together to really get to where you want to be. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, I've, I've, in my roles as head teachers and executive head, um, you know, we had lots of vision statements. Um, and on, my last one was every child, every day, every possibility. So straight away, it's an aspirational um, focal point. Mm. And you're thinking, actually, you know, really, we want to try and remove any barriers from our children to make sure they can achieve and be happy mm. uh, and we take that consideration of, of our care in terms of their well-being and their delivery of their education seriously and we never forget really why we're here mm. and that is really to make sure the children are at the heart of what we do yeah how do you think a senior leader then looks at the next steps for that aspiration so obviously <coughs> that's a commitment isn't it it's a value mm. we want children to be at the heart of everything we do how does that then work into the kind of practical application of day-to-day mm. uh, leadership and, and leading a team I think one of the first things to do is, is, is not get too weighed down with the intricacies of, of you know networking systems and programs it's keeping it simple and I think you know for me it's always been for example a, a quick illustration would be um, knowing the difference between sympathy and empathy and for me empathy is always important in actually being able to put yourself in the position of the children and understand actually to get the best for them and the best for them it's you've got to understand what their experience will be and so very quickly I look at how we engage with children how the interactions are and and again I was pretty known for having this um emphasis on it didn't really matter whether you were 6, 36 or 56 the expectation would be the same. So whatever structures or, or, or programs you put in place, it's about that sense of self-empowerment and that every stakeholder knows what their role and responsibility is in, in those levels of structures. Yeah. So it's about delivering an understanding about how that fits for each stakeholder group and then knowing for example then what children need to know, what children will do for them in the part of the jigsaw, yeah. what the teachers will do, what the role of governors are, what the parents are. Yeah. And, and so everybody sort of signs up to that one ethos, yeah. but they're very clear on what their roles are to maintain that ethos. Yeah. And I think that, and that for me was always, you know, doing that real piece of due diligence, pulling apart, you know, what your expectations are for all those key people within the learning community yeah. and, and that was it and it's little things like you as a head I'd often go into schools uh, you know with my different roles I've had the luxury of visiting lots and lots of schools mm-hmm. and straight away you get a feeling with the, the interactions of the children and the staff and if I'd, I'd always be wary if the language between teachers TAs and children was a language of control right. rather than the la- language of learning behaviours yeah. and so that's immediately gives you an insight to actually where that school potentially is in terms of ownership yeah. and and their own mindset in terms of ethos yeah. uh, and, 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 and it's how that you know um, how children are being championed within that and, and ultimately because we all go into education because we want to make a difference for our children mm-hmm. but it's making sure we never lose that sort of vision and drive and that we don't allow that to fall away because mm-hmm. then you do end up doing things to children rather than doing things with them mm-hmm. and for them and is there that learning behavior is that that intrinsic motivation the idea that they want to be in school 
they see the benefits, they understand their part in the community of the school, whether they're primary or secondary. Is there anything else you think that schools could kind of understand about those learning behaviours? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think you're spot on. I think it's the idea that the children have, you know, you start with the basics. And I think, you know, often when I'd talk to my teams, I'd, you know, I'd often ask them, you know, you know, why are we here? What's our main role? And inevitably, they'd all say, we're here to teach. And actually, and, I'd, and then at that point, I'd pull them back and say, no, you know, those children are handed over to us by their parents. Our initial core thing is actually care and well-being. And then once we have that sorted, then we teach. And I think it's making sure that we, we build on the right building blocks and we have that those things set in place. So really it's making sure the children will be secure and they feel welcome, they feel valued. Uh, and obviously, you know, and, and it's that thing if they're happy, you know, th- th- they will be in a position where they will learn. And so, so you know, you, and you see that, you know, and, and really good teachers, you walk into a classroom and you instantly feel that that connection is there. And, and it is that I think, and I think, and what school systems have got to do is they've got to allow connections to happen. And where you see things going badly wrong is actually the systems become all persuasive, and, and rather than foster connections, they get in the way. And, and I think you know, and that clearly is a way from a, a school leader, you know, you know, unpicking that. And I'd often challenge them from my leadership teams, especially when I took on a more executive role, actually saying, well, you know, where are we with that? Tell me what the impact would be. How will that affect the children? What does that mean in terms of learning behaviours? Mm. How will I? So rather than immediately looking at data, yeah. it's, it's actually looking at the journey right. and actually being really clear on that. You know, we are sort of again really focusing on, on what we do. Mm. And, and from my point of view, you know, my schools are always in places where the socio-economic postcodes were, you know, demanding areas where children, for example, our, our nursery, you know, had the luxury of having nursery so I could start really early with the children um, but often they'd come in instead of the 2,000 words expected vocabulary they only had 200 mm-hmm. so straight away you knew and you're focused on what we need to do yeah. uh, and, and so you know and what I'd always do is set clear milestones in terms of what I wanted at the end of nursery what we might have wanted at the end of year two yeah, but we built that picture all the way through mm-hmm. and so everybody knew what they needed to work to but more importantly is they're equipped to know what they need to do on that journey mm-hmm. and so we really pulled and, and it is the language of experts you know I was always expected my staff had to know what the curriculum was they had to really be real good leaders in terms of curriculum because yeah. you can't you can never get away from that knowledge acquisition and um, so we'd always support them and, and we'll put a lot of time to that but at the same time we'd spend um, I'd say you know not equal provision but it, uh, and we'd still positively discriminate and spend time and looking at child development looking at psychology of learning looking so so because quite often let's be honest they're, they're the areas now that a lot of new teachers come in and they're not that well equipped yeah. for yeah. so it's under, understanding that pedagogy behind what we do and how we do it mm-hmm. so actually so the teachers do gain a context for that mm-hmm. and again under the pressures that we currently face accountability quite often those are things are seen as luxuries but I think so you, you've got to really try and plan those things in so everybody can understand you know what you're doing and how you're doing it really mm-hmm. and now a short break to hear from our sponsors CPOMS is an online system for schools to manage pastoral concerns and events and is now used by over 10,000 schools. The main reason it works so well is that the categories of information a school logs on CPOMS are chosen by the school, 
so that the concerns you face that are unique to your community or individuals can be logged accordingly. It saves a huge amount of time compared to doing things on paper. Chronologies for pupils or school-wide reports can be generated quickly. The Service Point support team provide an incredible standard of service and one of the main reasons that CPOMs are spread by word of mouth to so many schools. For more information, go to www.cpoms.co.uk, where you can also book a demo for your school. Now back to the podcast. And how do you think you get buy-in from staff who, who aren't kind of understanding that ethos? Because, you know, we often find in schools, there's just a handful of staff sometimes that just kind of don't really get it I guess have you got any sort of ideas for schools on how you might how you sort of get them on your on your side that's a million dollar question that isn't it yeah exactly yeah um well instantly you know you know you could literally just pop your head through a classroom door and you instantly get an idea of um where that classroom might be in terms of effectiveness affect us in terms of relationships um, and how the children interact with the teaching team but also in terms of how you know how equipped they are in terms of getting the best outcomes for the pupils uh, and and you know for example straight away how the learning behavior of the children you know mm. actually are they focused do they self-regulate are they sort of independent are they resilient so it's a learning qualities within the children themselves and making sure teachers understand that and how you can promote those um, learning behaviors within the classroom so having a real clear route to understanding and how equipping teachers to do that because because again sometimes teachers might not really understand how to get to that point yeah. um, but, but instantly you know you'll know if the teacher's working harder than the children something probably isn't quite right oh, that's an interesting and, and that's, insight yeah. and that's okay. for me a simple thing but actually you know because ultimately the children you know the, and it's been clear in that the way that the, the teachers can differentiate their own teaching approaches again it, you know, a really confident, competent teacher can react and respond. You know, I often say the children are, are the mirror. And yeah. it sounds daft, but actually, quite clearly, whatever's happening in front of them, yeah. the children will respond in a certain way. And, and I think so, you know, really good teachers can go with it. They can actually shape their teaching style uh, to reflect the different needs of a curriculum and different needs of a lesson, mm-hmm. timings. And, and so, from my point of view, it's very much about equipping teachers to understand how, you know, they can self-regulate themselves and allow the children to take ownership of the learning. And really good teachers can really focus on what, what you know needs to be done it's quite interesting now because one of the key words that you hear now is knowledge organizers isn't it mm-hmm. and actually this idea that actually the teachers really know what the key concepts are what the key things they need to talk around the teach, uh, with the children sometimes just direct them and, and literally say coach them this is what you need to know this is how you do it but actually I want you to explore this so actually so they have an opportunity to unpick it themselves and really grasp the deeper learning behind some concepts mm-hmm. and, and when that happens in almost an organic way and children are really comfortable in, in, in owning that you know it, you see that and, it, and it's brilliant and you know in my schools I've you know we had really young children you know um, 
the year one and reception children and the, you know the staff are very good at using actual cues and visual resources and, and real resources to help the children understand what they're going to do so for example scientists would often put a white coat on and spectacles right. and that would then they'd go into a, into a, a mode of learning yeah. their own role and the children are like, if they're in the construction set they'd put a yellow hat on mm-hmm. and but it meant but again but the staff had very carefully told the children what the learning behaviours would look like in that area. So the children were coached, and, and then they were allowed. So it wasn't just, you know, there was times that they could just play, but actually the, the learning was very structured in a really nice, flowing way mm-hmm. that the children just gradually developed themselves and their understanding. Mm-hmm. Having key concept words around so that vocabulary was developed. And, and again, that comes into the, the teacher's understanding if they know what the key vocabulary is and how they can expand that. And and again, that comes down to the pedagogy and understanding how you can frame uh, children's learning. Mm. Uh, and so, it's, so you know, it is it is good to sort of every now and again pull back and actually look at those sorts yeah. of things. Um, but really, it, it's about you know, it, it's allowing teachers to really focus on what they should be doing rather than the sort of all the stuff on the periphery, which often we do. Yeah. And, and again, from a head's point of view, quite often the insightful thing for me often was transition points. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, if the children are sort of really resilient, really focused in the transition point, and they could then quickly get into another mode of learning, you know, without the minimal of fuss, instantly that sort of showed you where that ownership was and where the teacher's relationship was as well with them. That's really interesting to think about and reflect on. And I think as well, when you the, what, the way you're describing, the, the, there's two key areas of resilience. And, and, you know, when I'm in schools, the schools will say, well, the children aren't very resilient. There's two key areas, really, that you've talked about. is the sense of belonging and a sense of control. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're describing, that classroom environment, is children have a sense of control, a, an age-appropriate control, obviously, mm-hmm. but then that sense of belonging. I belong in this classroom, and, you know, and, I, and, I, can, and I can operate in a particular way, and I know what those boundaries are. Mm-hmm. All that is resilience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when schools are saying their students are not resilient, actually creating those learning behaviours so that students mm-hmm. do take some ownership, but they understand what's expected, um, in the, and the teacher almost facilitates then mm-hmm. um, that sort of growth is, is all part of good mental health and resilience. And, and I, think, yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, and, and the idea that the children are the heart of, of what you do, and actually, I think that's the key thing, really, because I think, you know, where schools, it's not tokenism. No. Yeah, you know, all schools can have a school council. At the end of the day, but actually, are the school council really meeting to talk about significant things? Do the school council are they allowed to sort of really have a voice in the future of the school? And you know, I, I always remember going back to my own experience of where we renamed our school as we changed age of transfer. The the structures of school changed, so we went from a first school to an infant school. At that point, we had to rename the school. And I can remember we didn't have many returns from parents, but the vast majority of returns from parents wanted a specific name uh, whereas we had obviously all the children responded and they wanted something different mm. uh, and we went with with you know democratically with the children because ultimately they're the ones and, and ultimately and we had some feedback from them and actually and the, and people challenged us with that and I said well hold on a minute are you saying that pupil voice can only be used for things that aren't important Right. And, and and instantly, you know, there was that, you know, mm. moment where the tumbleweed moment where actually people just sat and, and of course then they couldn't. Mm. Uh, and, 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 you know, they realised actually, you know, if we are being serious about this, we've got to show children yeah. that we're taking their views seriously. Mm. And, and, you know, and we went from that, you know, we had playtime buddies 
who were trained mm -hmm. to actually understand the games, work through and actually support younger children. So we would coach them to that and actually yeah. they would do that. Um, we had eco-warriors who would, you know, have a real say and they determined projects and people who the school would engage with. Um, peer mediators, so if we did have issues with behaviour, the first at playtime, unless it was obviously a significant thing, but the first thing the children were trained to go and actually talk to a peer and work through it and and all things that worked really really well mm. uh, and I think you know and, and so the children immediately knew they had a role to play yeah. and, and it was aspirational as well and, and ultimately you know you could see children especially you know, year six was a big year for us as they left our federation and the year six children you could see they were getting ready for that ambassadorial role of, of taking on the responsibility of being the figureheads of the school yeah. and, and and so so you know you, you, you get that and, and I think and it was always for us you know is this notion of an oasis so it doesn't really matter what happens outside the school gates but we knew that inside there was an expectation and, and we really would you know just sort of aim for the stars and, and, and make sure the children could really achieve what they wanted to achieve really I think that's a really interesting model around aspiration because a lot of schools are looking at you know how do we get someone externally to come in and, and tell you know talk to the to students and inspire them how do we make sure they they know the you know have some thoughts about where they want to aspire to be in the future but I think sometimes forgetting that all the resources for aspiration are actually within the school and they are within that idea that children have a way of being able to influence their environment mm. you know what greater way of creating aspiration than you know a democracy that says yeah actually we are going to change the name yes. um, you know a democracy or a group of people that say actually we're going to make this school um, support this sort of um, ecology and, and we're going to support the school in terms of you know resources and um, you know renewable energy and all that all that side of things and actually that's aspiration isn't it it, is. it isn't always about having someone coming in no and, and I think and it's, it's about doing it properly and, I think, and again I think as long as you do it properly and you educate the children into the process and they understand actually that they can't be flippant and that the decision is a significant one and and, and yet to find the children ever let you down mm. and actually you know they are very focused they actually get it you know some of the school council meetings I've had have been the most focused meetings I've ever had and actually usually keep to time uh, you know and, and 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 you know and they will do that and I think and that sense uh, of, of you know once their children understand that the expectation is there you know the very really do they let you down I think you know and, and let's be honest then you only have to look at Greta Thunberg now in terms of you know yeah actually how peril do we underestimate our children mm. and, and I think and that's the other thing actually children aren't daft they very quickly even at a very young age will pick up if they're being belittled Absolutely. if they're not being allowed to do things and I think sometimes, you know, again, it's this, like if I go back to how I started, it's language of control rather than language of learning behaviour. You know, if you explain to a child why they can't do something and you unpick the reasons why perhaps it isn't a good idea that they do a certain activity rather than just saying, no, you can't, mm -hmm. then actually children understand it and they'll say, actually, oh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so it's making sure we, do, we don't dismiss children in a way that we wouldn't dismiss an adult and actually that we do take the time to allow the children 
to understand the context that they're in. Because if, again, as a head, you know, I used to see children being turned off because they didn't think their voice was being heard or they didn't think they had a role to play in their classroom, yeah. their classroom. Yeah. And, and that is one of the most disheartening things when you see really young children who their disposition is to be excited about learning to be turned off. And, and I think and, and there for me is, is always, and it goes back, like I say, Tiana, it's the interactions. And as long as your school systems never forget the interactions that we're supposedly organising and at the heart of what we do, um, then you potentially are in a healthy place. Thank you, Damien. Some absolutely amazing insights. And I think for what I would say is sometimes for schools a bit of a tricky subject, how do we actually get those learning behaviours, the sense of belonging and that resilience right from leadership and I think you've really helped schools and described that brilliantly so thank you so much no thank you to be here thank Thank you Damien has given us the opportunity in this interview to consider how to create a shared responsibility for PSHE as lead we sometimes think we have to do it all from the interview we can see the benefits not just to you as a lead, but actually the shift that comes in the learning dynamic. And particularly for a subject like PSHE, it ensures the important skills and attitudes and knowledge start to be embedded and transferred across the school. I love the nuggets he gives of information. So teachers working harder than the children and noticing when that happens. And is your school an oasis? I know certainly over the last few months, many children and indeed staff have greatly missed school and it has been an oasis for them. It's a normalising, grounding place for many children and staff. There are two resources that I'm sharing with you to go along with this podcast. John Rees from PSHE Solutions has kindly shared a video which talks about how to create the safe learning environment. So when you are teaching PSHE, whether that's primary or secondary, it provides you with some guidance on how best to safely teach PSHE so that children can reflect on their values. They can think about well-being. They can critically evaluate and reflect And it's really important that staff know how to lead these sessions safely. The other thing that I've provided for you is a handout or reflection sheet, really taking the key points from Damien's interview. And it might be that you want to take just 20 minutes to reflect, therefore, what's the vision for your school around PSHE and mental health? Does that sit within the school's mission values? And then, as Damien talked about in the interview, thinking about that shared responsibility and the shared roles that sit within that value. And on the handout, you can consider that for all stakeholders. So like staff, for example, what roles and responsibilities do they have? Perhaps you might be looking at trying to think about the mission within PSHE of being able to prepare students for the world of work to make sure you're developing confident, independent, critical thinkers. So for staff, for example, some of their roles and responsibilities are about ensuring that sort of dynamic, critical thinking can happen within the lessons. And you as lead to be able to provide model and using John's video to be able to safely do that. You might want to think about the children's responsibility, turning up on time, being respectful having respectful curiosity, 
governors, for example, having the PSHE lead come and present to the governors so that they can be curious and understand how that whole school approach is working. SLT, maybe looking at performance and CPD and professional behaviours and parents, how do we get them sort of attending events um, and ensuring that they are getting their children on time and reaching out for help when they need it. I'm not saying all those things are in place right now, but if we can, as Damien explains, put those roles and responsibilities together and think about what best practice would look like, then all the better for that shared whole school approach to PSHE. And just finally on that handout, therefore, there is an opportunity to just think about how do you actually foster those roles and responsibilities? So what are the actions that you currently do? And then there's a box that says for you to think about what you might do in the future. So, for example, you may decide that the PSHE lead doesn't present at Governors and that's something to be doing in the future. You may decide that in secondary school, subject leaders should be weaving in aspects of PSHE into their subject planning and, you know, you will enable them to do that. These are just some of the examples that you may put into your reflection. And that handout really is just there for you, should you want to. For all our resources attached to this episode please go to halcyon.education forward slash podcasts and you can download the handout there are also some links to the video i've mentioned and one of our sponsors jigsaw pshe are providing a free recovery curriculum for all schools to support you as pupils return in september go to their website or click on the link on our Halcyon Education page on podcasts to access this free resource for you. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and if you find it of benefit, I would love you to be able to share with others. Many thanks and take care. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For more information and support on this topic, go to the resources section on the website. That's www.halcyon.education forward slash podcasts.